This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise. I'm Lois Griffiths. Today's guest is Green MP Eugenie Sage. Eugenie is deservedly well-known as a knowledgeable and passionate advocate for the protection of New Zealand's natural heritage. She's been a Green List MP since 2011, and she's been Minister of Conservation and Associate Minister for the Environment from 2017 to 2020. Before that, Eugenie was an elected regional councillor with Environment Canterbury, but actually, Martin and I got to know you, Janie, years ago when she worked for Forest and Bird, a post she held for 13 years. A very impressive background. Welcome to Earthwise, Eugenie Sage. Kia ora, Lois. Um, thank you for those kind words. Really pleased to be here. Well, Eugenie, your member's bill, Prohibition of Mining on Conservation Land, will be debated this year. But I've read in an October media release from Forest and Bird that in 2010, there was a huge public march in Auckland, 40,000 people marching down Queen Street demanding that conservation land be protected from mining. That was 13 years ago. What stopped an issue with so much public support from being dealt with? Very good question, Lois. Um, that was under the former national government, and a lot of the advocacy then was about stopping uh, nationals' plans to allow mining in national parks, uh, conservation uh, parks, and just to really open up the conservation estate. They did change the law back then and required for any mining application on conservation land, the Minister of Energy uh, was now involved, which wasn't the case previously. It had just been the ability of the Minister of Conservation to um, decide. So the in 2017, with a new Labour, um, New Zealand First Coalition and the Greens, Competence and Supply, there was that promise um, by inspection of the throne that there be no new mines on conservation land. We are still pushing to have that implemented. And this interview is timely because yesterday the Grey Star ran a story uh, about the government possibly moving on that. But I suspect it was the mining industry seeking to create a bit of a ruckus and try and persuade the new Prime Minister Hipkins um, to not proceed. He's going to have us... So he's going to have his hands full anyway, isn't he? Well, yes, but this is a promise that Labor made in 2017. Mm. Uh, New Zealanders expect to be able to enjoy um, the splendid nature on our conservation lands without having big pits, um, huge waste rock stacks. And it's not just about mining coal and gold. It's also now there's increasing interest in things like Ilmenite, new proposals at Barrytown um, to mine uh, the sands there and extract ilmenite, process it into titanium dioxide, which is used as a whitener and things like um, paint. It seems to me there's always a conflict between what the public wants and powerful political interests, isn't there? And we're talking about some big, big financial interests. Well, we are certainly talking about big overseas companies like Oceana Gold, 
it's got plans for a big underground mine uh, near Whangamata in the Coromandel uh, Forest Park. And uh, Hauraki Mi um, Mine Watch has been leading the charge to protect those forests and to protect threatened species like Archie's frogs from mining. Because even though the mine will be underground there, and the company's claiming that they won't need to clear uh, the kauri and mixed forest there, the vibration and the risk of subsidence uh, is a real threat to the conservation park and to the species that call it home. And we've seen um, Oceana's mining uh, under uh, Waihi. That's caused major subsidence, noise, um, vibration issues for uh, local residents. And this, it's proposed to go in on neighbouring farmland and go under the conservation uh, estate. It's an overseas company. Sure, there are some jobs uh, in Coromandel, but Waihi's hardly a go-ahead town economically, even though it's had this big mining company uh, there for some years. Mike, remember from Forest and Bird was that there's always legal problems. You end up in court with all sorts of technicalities. Like they say that they're not disharming the environment, they're just going underground. And it's all very frustrating, isn't it? Well, and that is one of the issues with the Resource Management Act, that because it's been focused on just managing the impacts of activities and not looking, well, what's the environmental result we want to achieve, um, there have been a number of mines that have got the go-ahead. Most recently, West Coast councils, which tend to be enthusiasts for mining, have uh, granted consent for a company to mine the sand dunes and an area very close, it's on conservation land, of wetlands, two significant wetlands um, near Westport. And they're looking for garnet, they say, and uh, some of the minerals that are in the uh, sands there. It's right next door to some lifestyle blocks, but most important, it's likely to impact the wetlands. It's got consent. Um, to their credit, West Coast commissioners uh, did decline the Barrytown Ilmenite mine, but there was recent media coverage of the company saying uh, it's revised its application slightly, which will mean it will have tweaked a few things around the edges. And you had the ta um, uh, Grey Mayor Tanya um, Gibson saying that she hoped it would get consent, which is totally inappropriate for. I know that area to, too. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's, yes. Um, I, I looked up, I was curious. I didn't think of mining means coal and gold and silver in Bolivia. But then I looked up Elmanite, and it's got some purposes, doesn't it? It's, I mean, yes, why, it does. why do they want Elmanite? Um, well, generally, these are export industries. Um, and the issue is that there is two-thirds of Aotearoa, which is not the conservation estate where mining could occur under strict conditions. So we're not saying no mining. It's just that these lands, which have been set aside to protect their landscapes for recreation and for the plants and wildlife that live there, they should be protected from mining. Like and we've seen Oceana, big hole in Victoria Forest Park for a open mm. cast gold mine. There are big tailings impoundments, big waste rock stacks there, and really vulnerable if there's an earthquake and given all this heavy rain. Similarly in Coromandel, um, the big tailings impoundment uh, there with all the rain that Coromandel's um, impacting on Coromandel, 
uh, are there risks around that tailings lake? And I think some of the locals are checking with the regional council as to whether they're properly monitoring it. Oh, what they're going Yes, to. you're right. Some of these minerals um, have got uh, valuable uses. Yeah, I, I looked so, it up actually. <laughs> and it says it contains titanium and it can has aerospace and weapons and cell phones. I thought, oh my God, weapons. No wonder you're up against some powerful yes. forces. And I guess with um, e-waste, all of the our old phones, our old laptops, keyboards, uh, computers, um, they contain precious metals. And there's not been nearly enough focus by the industry. It could repurpose its skilled people and its processing to recover uh, precious metals from our electronic waste. Um, government is investing more in ensuring that electronic waste doesn't end up in landfill. But that's a real opportunity for these mining companies to um, help with the reuse and recovery of um, precious minerals instead of them going to landfill. Oh, that's interesting. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access Radio. Today's guest is environmentalist Green MP UJD Sage. Well, UJD... I remember reading in the news and hearing on the radio a story in August 2016, six and a half years ago. It was an outbreak of waterborne disease in Havelock North that killed four people, I think made 5,500 very ill. I was shocked that this could happen in New Zealand, not in New Zealand. And that was 2016. Sorry, Lois, go on. I mean, what's going to be done about this? Uh, well, what you have highlighted is the start of the major changes around what's called three waters, our drinking water, our wastewater, um, and stormwater. And the Havelock North Inquiry came out with a number of recommendations. One of the problems back then was that the um, Department of Health, Ministry of Health, and the public health, community and public health offices hadn't been properly monitoring local councils and uh, the state of the water supply. And so some sheep um, feces got into the pipe uh, at Havelock North because the wellhead, because the water came from underground, as it does in much of Canterbury, um, wasn't properly um, managed. And so I think one of the other recognition then was that councils, small councils like Havelock North and Hastings, uh, they didn't have the capacity, the funds to properly manage their water systems. So Department of Internal Affairs has been busy and did various consultants' reports, which have cost quite a lot, um, and government has come up with these proposals to establish four big entities that take away the uh, responsibilities of the councils for delivering drinking water, wastewater and stormwater. Um, there's been a new... Uh, authority, Taumata Arawai, established to uh, be the regulator for drinking water quality and to set standards and require currently councils to provide management plans of how they ensure that our drinking water is safe because it's a basic right to have safe, clean, healthy uh, drinking water. In fact, um, the, sorry. Go on. Well, the quality of drinking water has been an issue for some time, hasn't it? And uh, not just have a lot north, but the incidents in Canterbury. We've been talking about um, that, and there's some incidents in Wellington about sewage in the street, something like that. 
Yes, so there has been, in New Zealand, we've had, when ratepayers put pressure on councils, they don't invest in pipes and infrastructure to the extent that they should. That's underground. We've got the classic case in Christchurch of the major spend on a stadium rather than on basic oh. infrastructure. Okay. That said, Christchurch City Council has been very good at uh, doing regular maintenance and upgrading of our three waters infrastructure. So the legislation to establish the entities has gone through the parliament. There's another bill um, currently open for submissions, or they may have just closed. And new Prime Minister Hipkins has said that Three Waters may be um, looked at as part of his policy um, reprioritisation. We do need a greater investment in infrastructure. But as Auckland floods have shown, we need to change the way we design our cities. We need to not build in floodplains, not build in areas that are prone to slippage, and we need to green our cities by having what's been called spongy cities, more uh, green areas, uh, restoring wetlands, um, having areas where the rain can uh, filter into the ground, getting rid of concrete and asphalt and where we can, ensuring that big factory buildings and the like which have got big roofs have got tanks to take that water and ensure it goes into the stormwater system more slowly and really commend the work that Christchurch City Council has done. Um, used to live alongside the Opawaho Heathcote River and that was often subject to flooding but the council has invested in the big uh, stormwater retention basins out in the Hallswell southwest Christchurch area it's been a lot of subdivision there, but there hasn't been the same flooding problems in the Opawaho Heathcote because these big retention basins have slowed the stormwater flows into the river and have helped reduce um, the sediment. And similarly in Flockton Basin, the council's invested in fixing the flooding problems that followed the earthquake. So Christchurch City Council, because it's had a long history of dealing with um, flooding issues and water management, I think is one of the leading councils in being innovative and really putting that investment in over the years to um, tackle a lot of the flooding problems. Well, that's, that's good to know. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an expense, isn't it, to have these three waters? Does that mean three different systems of dealing with water? It must be an awful expense. And who pays for it? I mean, I, I thought it would be mainly regional councils. You no, it has, the, the, the three waters changes don't affect regional councils. Regional councils um, provide the plans and the rules. They're the regulators. But it's the district and city councils which deliver via pipes um, our drinking water and take away our sewerage and wastewater. And one of the key green th things the Green Party wants is that stormwater should stay with councils because good stormwater management is really integrated with council's management of green spaces and parks and reserves. And areas in Auckland which haven't been flooded have often had these um, parks and reserves effectively acting as stormwater retention basins. That needs to be designed in. Um, and we've seen um, a big wetland in Auckland, um, the St John's area, where that's just, it was a former wetland, it's now being restored. That's just been full of water as a result of the floods, but that's protected all the neighbouring houses. So we should avoid building on floodplains to start with, and some of the development that is proposed around Lincoln is in Springs area, which very boggy and wet, and 
in a big extreme weather event where the Horsall River flooded, I imagine we'd have similar damage um, there. So our land use decisions must work with nature and recognise what are floodplains, what are vulnerable um, to these extreme weather events, and they must have um, big areas where stormwater can be uh, captured and then filter into the ground. And just green spaces, more green spaces, more permeable paths, um, driveways instead of always being asphalt or concrete, uh, and capturing water from roofs and reusing that um, as uh, for flushing toilets in buildings, for example. Well, to me, the, the big issue is public health. That should be the number one priority. And I was thinking regional councils because our, well, the Christchurch water comes from aquifers, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So this would... Inv- the, the, so the, the big issue to protect water quality in Canterbury and Christchurch, uh, Otatahi, uh, is to change land use, uh, to get rid of, um, or to reduce the number of dairy cows because of the huge impact that their urine uh, leaching through the soils into the aquifers is having in terms of high nitrate nitrogen levels and the risk of that poses to babies of blue baby syndrome where they can't take up oxygen Mm. well and the increased risk of colorectal cancer. And Waimati, where I was just last week, there have been, there are major problems with their water there because of the very uh, excessive levels of nitrate and the health risks that poses to people. I think one of the points that Greenpeace has made, I've read their press release, that um, they're quite happy with the Three Waters program, except they think it doesn't tackle the, the cause of pollution. We need to um, protect the delivery of water, but we really need to look at why are we getting the pollution in the first place. Um, agree. The, that's what I'm saying, really. It's the protecting the sources of drinking water, uh, and that's why the Green Party and others, including Greenpeace, have been pushing for stronger standards, uh, which Ministry for the Environment has come out with, uh, to protect drinking water sources. Rather than trying to fix it once it's polluted, it's much more cost-effective to control land uses in the catchment to avoid um, intensive agriculture and things that can pollute the actual drinking water source. And I think Greenpeace is pointing to to the intensive dairying, also the use of um, synthetic fertiliser. Yeah, synthetic fertiliser. There was a petition that came to Parliament um, which Greenpeace and others uh, had promoted and the Parliament's Environment Committee considered. And the Green Party view was that synthetic fertiliser should be phased out because uh, it contributes to that nitrate-nitrogen leaching, but more of the impact is because it allows the really high numbers of dairy cows and intensive stocking that we see. And people like Dr. Alison Jews, um, veterinarian, former dairy farmer, uh, really knowledgeable about land and water use, She's highlighted with her research in the Waikato uh, area and Bay of Plenty that if you reduce the inputs like fertiliser, if you reduce stock numbers uh, and palm kernel, um, your costs go down. uh, It's less stressful for people working on the farm and your cash flow actually increases. So we can have improved returns from farmers if we move away from a very heavy high input model with lots of fertiliser, lots of 
um, feed that's not grown on farm and that creates, um, yeah, it means stock numbers are too high. The whole stresses on nature, on the farmers are too high and the financial stresses are too high. So if you wind that all back, um, you can have a much more successful model uh, and one with better cash flow. I think they talk about regenerative farming, something like that. We do need that, a, a different way of handling the land. I'm a city yes, person that, myself. Yeah, it, it's not, uh, there's no clear definition that I'm aware of, but the sort of work that Alison Jews has done highlights that that sort of a model, which is, again, like how we manage through waters, thinking about nature, uh, thinking about uh, systems and animal welfare, uh, is good for people and it's good for the planet. And I think that's really what the public wants. No. It's certainly the basis for um, good well-being uh, in terms of just the uh, people in, in Tamaki Makaurau having lost homes, had oh. uh, things damaged. It's We need to plan so that we don't have events like that happening. And one of the key ways is to reduce our emissions and to plan our cities so that um, we can adapt as well. And we at last need to take um, climate change seriously, climate uh, breakdown, I would call it, which is people have been warning about for decades, really. So well, I hope that for anyone who is at all sceptical that climate change is <laughs> happening, that they will think about what has happened in Auckland and all of this water vapour, which gets held in the air with warmer temperatures and then comes down in these intense events. It was also recently up in um, the Hawke's Bay, not Hawke's Bay, up on the east coast and just seeing the walls of wood from forestry slash which cyclone hail and the intense rain brought down those river systems and people who live uh, downstream uh, living in fear of rain because of another wall of wood coming Mm. down the river and just all the silt and debris it spread across um, farmland there. So climate change is happening people and we need to act with yes. much more urgency and intensity to reduce our emissions. And that's why the Greens don't support the um, changes to the road user charges. Uh, to invest more in public transport, invest in greening our cities, uh, reduce uh, agricultural uh, stocking numbers, phase out synthetic fertiliser, and be much more serious about getting those emissions down so that we protect the climate and we protect people by right. doing that. Well, Janet, one more point. This is a pre-recorded interview, but it'll actually go to air on Monday, the 6th of February, which is Waitaki Day. I noticed at a press release discussing your new Prohibition of Mining and Conservation Land Bill, you used the word papatuanuku. I hope I pronounced that correctly. What does this word mean to you? Um, papatuanuku, to me, means... Um the earth and nature and everything that supports us as humans and how we need a much more respectful relationship with Papatuanuku. Uh, and we think that this uh, pro- protecting conservation lands from mining is a one way of doing that so that we don't see forests cleared, rivers polluted, big uh, mounds of toxic sludge, um, and that we actually have a relationship with nature which recognises that it sustains us and human well-being depends on healthy nature. Well, it's a beautiful word, papatuanuku. It reminds me of the American conservationists of the 19th century, John Muir. He was one of the founders of the uh, National Park System. He said, everybody needs beauty as well as bread, 
places to play in and pray in, where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul. Isn't that sure. That's a lovely statement. Um, Lars? So, with that, I'm so sorry about the people in Auckland. I think about that all the time. I'm trying to concentrate on our con- even on their conversation. I think, oh, those poor people. I- well, I think it's for anyone in Otatahi Christchurch who has been through the earthquakes and just the complete dislocation of daily life that it causes. Mm. Um, the only good thing is the way in which neighbours and community are surrounding those who need help. Some of the um, other government and central government systems as well and it's what can we do um, in Otatahi Christchurch to support um, people in, in Auckland and what are the changes we need to make in the way we plan our, where houses go, the way we work with nature, our stormwater systems so that we are much more resilient and people aren't exposed um, to this sort of stress because these weather events will increase it's also how we respond as well as um, reducing emissions. Well, thank you, Eugenie Sage, for talking to us. I know you lead a busy life. Thank you, Lois. Good to hear from you. Kia ora. Kia ora. So from us at Earthwise, goodbye. <laughs>